Hi, everybody. Mark Summers. Welcome to Mark Summers Unwraps. Today, our guest, Dan Flora, Captain Cragen from uh, SVU, and uh, we're going to discuss the early days of SVU. And then I got a call from Dick Wolf, and he said, we have a spinoff, and we'd like to bring your character back. We're going to talk about a little birthday song he did for Ice-T. He goes, Chief wrote me a rhyme. <laughs> And you might be uh, surprised what his major was in college. I was studying uh, synthetic projective geometry. The hell does that mean? Well, <laughs> I've forgotten for the most part now. I can't even do my taxes. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Mark Summers Unwraps. You know, work ethic and confidence are something I think you're born with. Um, you know, nurture, nature, uh, how much does the family have to do with it? Uh, th there can be two or three siblings in a family, and they're all distinctively different. And I was lucky enough to be born with a, a work ethic. You know, people keep calling me the Energizer Bunny. I don't give up. You know, why at 72 are you going to New York to do seven shows a week? Uh, why not? Um, if you have the energy uh, and the passion, I, I've never been a gardener. I don't really play golf. Uh, I don't have hobbies. My work is my hobby and maybe too much of my life, but it is my life. And as I always say, I never felt like I've worked a day in my life. I've always just had fun. So um, I just think I was lucky to have that uh, instilled in me when I came out of the womb. Hi, everybody. We're back at Mark Summers Unwraps. And uh, a gentleman I uh, met uh, almost by mistake, I guess. We're going to tell that story in just a, a few moments. You probably know him as Captain Cragen uh, for 15 years, Law and Order, but so many other things to discuss. We're welcoming the world-famous Dan Florek. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, we met in a strange way. Yeah. Uh, we both were on diners, drive-ins, and dives with Guy Fieri. Mm -hmm. I worked with him at Food Network. He called and he said, Summers, what are you doing today? I said, uh, why? Why are you asking? He said, we're, sh we're shooting. Do you want to come? And while I got there, I met you. How did you end up there? Well, I went to a, uh, a friend's place. It was called Louis in mm -hmm. Mar Vista. And uh, Guy's crew, I think, was there. And so I was just sitting there having a snack and a glass of wine. And they came over and said, do you know the show? And I said, dude, please, Triple <laughs> yeah. D. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only show I binge watch, by the way. The only really? one. I don't even watch my own show. <laughs> but the um, they came over and said, would you want to do it? And then they said there was like three different areas, cities. And I said, well, you know, Culver City's right nearby. So how about that one? And uh, they said, okay. And I think it was the next day. Oh, my. So I got ready and uh, shot over there. And I couldn't find it at first. It was like in a little strip mall. Little hole in the wall. Tubbs Fine Chili. Yes, yes. And uh, I remember it. The guy was great. He was I mean, fantastic. Um I believe he's passed. That's a sad oh, thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think so. But um, I had more chili and more hot dogs oh and more God. bacon, and uh, and we met. And that was uh, and that's yeah. where we met. You told me that you knew my daughter. Now my daughter at the time was singing in a club yep. near where you live. And said you always came in and were super kind to her and just had great conversations. Yeah, she. It was called Wits End yes. at the time. Yes. And I lived right up the street, half a block up the street. And whenever I was in town and not shooting, I would go down there and I would see who's here, you know? And they always were nice to me. They'd let me in and I'd hang out for a while. And that's where I first saw her. And that's, I said, 
She was a mermaid. That's what you said. And, she was you a know, mermaid. Meredith thinks she's a fairy, so you saying she's a mermaid <laughs> makes sense. It's kind of in there. So a fairy underwater, whatever. <laughs> That's there it exactly is. right. I just had lunch with her, and she said to say hi. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. She's she doing would, really it was well. always good. It's nice, by the way, that place is gone, but it's now called Venice West. Oh. And it's still a music venue. Good so, to know. Those, you know, back in the day when you and I, being veterans, were growing mm -hmm. up, there were small clubs... You know, whether it was stand-up, it could have been poetry, oh, uh, yeah? a lot of music. And slowly but surely, those, I think, have all gone away. I think a lot of them are gone. Uh, some of that stuff happens, I guess, on Zoom and things like that. But I remember the slams and all that. And, yes. Uh, they still do have the, you know, like NPR, the storytelling stuff. Yep. Uh, where you have to, you know, you got to have it five, ten minutes ready to roll and... Uh, I'm actually trying to do one of those. Are you really? Yeah. I I don't know if it's like going to be a book I write, my life story, whatever it is. At the moment, it's called Law and Disorder. <laughs> and it's just kind of through the whole role, all the different roles, all the, you know, wacky stuff and, and even how Law and Order. Well, everybody totally would love out that. Of the blue. Because you're on a show that's an institution, first oh, yeah, of all. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to get into that whole situation. But what I like to talk about is... I grew up in Indiana, wanted to be in the entertainment industry. You grew up in Michigan. Flat Rock, Michigan. Where is that? Town. Well, it's a, it's near Detroit. Okay. It's what uh, Southeast Michigan, uh, Wayne County. But I don't know what it was. See, I played guitar and bass, and I was kind of in a band. And so I liked storytelling, as it were, right? And then uh, in literature class... I was didn't seem that interested, and then we had to read Long Day's Journey into Night and Hamlet, and I got hooked. I a lot of the other cats in the class were like, "What is this? What are we doing? What this doesn't make any sense." And I said, "No, you're not reading it right, man." You know, and those how old were two, you when you got hooked like that? Oh, that would have been sixteen. 16, 17. And you said, I want to do this? Well, I don't know if I said I want to do this yet, but it was appealing. And I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. Because here I'm playing guitar, I'm trying to write songs, you know, I'm doing stuff like that. And then because of that interest, I was in the school play. What was your first uh, role? Uh, I played <laughs> Romeo Scrag. In Little Abner. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's. Uh, I'm glad there's no reviews on that one. <laughs> See, I'm trying to think. Put them back the way they were. Isn't that oh, from that yeah. show? Yeah. I think so. Take us boys, what's known as the Scrags. <laughs> Mama said she had us as hags. But it was, I remember doing it, and we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, and it was probably, the budget was probably $18 or something. Right. And I remember at one time, I just, I walked out too early. And I thought it was our fishing scene. And it wasn't. It was the love scene with little Abner and Daisy May, I guess. And so I just I just sat there and started singing with them. I didn't know what didn't, else to do. Right. So it got a laugh. That probably was part of the hook, too. I bet. And, and, and of course, the director wasn't happy. But, uh, it, you know, that's how it started. Then we did, like, some kind of truncated version of um, West Side Story because— you know, it was a guy with a piano and we jumped around. And, <laughs> but the funny part was somebody saw it, 
put my name in, and it led to a part scholarship at Where? Eastern Michigan University. So you majored in theater? Well, I went up as a math and physics major. I was studying uh, synthetic projective geometry. The hell does that mean? Well, <laughs> I've forgotten for the most part now. I can't even do my taxes. But th I started with that, and I'm doing calculus and all this stuff. But I thought, well, I did this play, so I'm going to go over. And I walked in, and I auditioned. And, and that was uh, Paint Your Wagon. So I jumped in on that, and then it just started steamrolling, and I kept doing stuff, and there was a little bit uh, more of a scholarship, and it was somewhere in there. We had a guest director from Britain, Peter Muskamp, who is still a friend to this day. I was playing Richard III in Richard III, and I think that's when it hit me, and I went, I think I'm going to do this. So you're how old at this point? Well, by that time, 21. So do you move to New York? Well, yeah. You did? Yeah. What did your parents think? Well, okay. Um, my mom cried, of course, and was like, you're leaving? What are you going to do? But it, uh, the cool part was my dad. And he, he just said... Uh, you know, this is a tough business, son, and uh, not a lot of people make it and all that sort of thing. And I said, yeah, I know, Dad. And he said, well, you know, uh, how much money do you have and everything? I said, Dad, look, don't worry. I said, and I'll tell you what. I said, I got a backup plan. He said, oh, good, what? I said, I'm going to give it till I'm 80. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, I'll I'm, I'm going to get a plan B. <laughs> And I swear to you, it was one of the only times he kind of half smiled, laughed, and said, I love you, son. Well, that was his endorsement. That was it. And so I you're was, what, like 20? 20, 21, right there. So you're moving to New York, have no place to live? Well, no. You know what? Uh, I had done a thing in Summerstock where Pat Paulson oh, ran the theater up in uh, upstate Michigan, Traverse City, Michigan. So while I was there... Um, if I helped in the office, they would give me my equity card. Which was impossible to get. Exactly. You had to go be in two or three plays or whatever it was. But this all worked out. So I did a couple with uh, Lyle Wagner, uh, Artie Johnson. Boy, I, it was... Uh, I don't think of Lyle Wagner in New York doing theater. You this know? was Michigan, though. Oh, this was Michigan. This okay. Was, this was, you know, star theater. Okay. And... So they would do that kind of thing, and you'd get all the people uh, in this little in-the-round theater. And James Drury, there's a name that just popped oh in. But uh, so did that, got the equity card, and a guy that I met, he was in, uh, what was it, a Niels Hyman play, uh, mm -hmm. The Odd Couple. Okay. And he said, when you come to New York, call me. And about five people said that. He was the only one who returned the call. Always. So he set it up for me to meet somebody, and I moved in at 493 Amsterdam, apartment 4A. <laughs> and what was your rent? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, here's a good one. The rent, I think, was about um, 140 bucks. So quick side story. Back then, it would, there was a um, Macanudo. It was a cigar bar. Yes. I walk in. I'm talking with a buddy who's working there. And he says, you know, this uh, uh, server, I think, lived where you used to live. 
She came over and I said, I lived at 493 4A. And she said, no, you were set up. I said, no, I did. I, and, and so I asked, what, what is the rent now? And it was like 1250. Oh, of course. And, of course. And now I think it's 3500. Has to be. And it's a little one bedroom walk up. Yeah. You yeah. know? It's, so do you remember the Kenley players back in the day? I, See, I grew up in Indiana and in yeah. Columbus, Cincinnati, Dayton, and somewhere else, everybody would come and do summer stock mm -hmm. in, those, in those markets. And I would read Variety because it was the only thing I could get close to show business and, and try to figure out how the hell do I get a chance to audition? How do I get into this right. thing? But you figured out how to do it. So you got your card in Michigan. You moved to New York. The one guy returns your phone call. What's the first thing you do? Oh, well, honestly, back then I called my parents collect. <laughs> Which you could do yeah, back, with, then. back then <laughs> with an old rotary phone and the whole thing and just said, I'm in, I got an apartment, I'm here. And of course, you don't have your cell phone to take a picture or anything. Nothing. So uh, that was it. And then I looked up my buddy, Jim Rebhorn, and uh, we went out and I think we split a blimpy, you know, the subs. <laughs> sure. They're still yeah. there, man. I, I bet they are. Every now and then you can find a blimpy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So how long... And how many auditions before you got your first real job? Well, I mean, those came fairly quickly. I mean, at uh, Cherry County Playhouse, you know, I got a card. So that was that. I got back in um, and I had to do stuff. You know, I did a little carpentry work and things like that. And whatever you could, you, you know, pocket a few bucks. Yeah. Because then there was also a little bit of unemployment and, you know, whatever. But... Um, I started auditioning, and early on, I got it was a little musical at Manhattan Theater Club. Yeah, still exists. Still exists as big or bigger than ever. Oh yeah, uh, they you know almost every show they do gets transferred, and I did that and made connections with people that I still work with and see to this day. But that got in, and then shortly after that, somebody recommended me, and I auditioned for uh, the acting company. Out of Juilliard, mm -hmm. right? Now, I didn't go to Juilliard. Uh, I was definitely a black sheep there. But <laughs> the thing is, all those people, uh, Patti Lapone and certain people, said, we're done. We're going to now go on with our careers. So they actually opened it up for some auditions. And I got that and toured the country. You know, I always talk to people because they come to me as I'm sure they come to you and say, you know, I want to be in this industry. What do I do? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I said, what do you want to do? Well, I want to host. I said, we well, got to host things. You know, <laughs> weddings, yeah, bar yeah, mitzvahs, yeah. dog shows, wakes, whatever you can host, host. The more experience you get, the better you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. You want to be a performer? You want to be an actor? You got to go act. And you can't, you know, get the lead every time, but no. you got to get on stage and you have to be comfortable. And most people don't want to put in the time. So what do you think it was about you? Was it your passion, uh, your determination? What was it that kept you going? I think it was, there was a passion. I don't think I would have known that it was a passion so much. It was just the fuse was lit. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was saying, let's see where it goes. You know, I didn't want to go home two years later and no. You know, say it fizzled out. No. So I kept working and I kept working. And I would also say this for me, uh, and it's true to this day, as much as the passion, the preparation and everything, there was a certain naivete about me. And Which I think is helpful this. though. I It was, I think. Yeah. Because what we don't know 
is better than if we didn't know. Because I would say, if I knew then what I knew now, I would have come out probably. Probably. Know. I hear that. And uh, and I, I feel the same way. And so I also would turn down things and take things for no money. And everyone's saying, what are you, out of your mind? And I went, but that's, I just feel it. That's what I should do. Yeah. So here I am doing a showcase, you know, where at the WPA Theater downtown in New York and they gave you 50 bucks for the whole thing. Sure. And they didn't pay you till closing night. Oh my. So you wouldn't take the money and quit, you know? <laughs> so that's why I said to a buddy the other day, even working and being successful, I said, for all the stuff I did for free, I think if I added everything up and averaged it, I'd make 500 bucks a week. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I get that. I really get that. What was the first national thing, TV, movie that, that you got? Well, the big one, I mean, being in New York, you'd get a, you know, a day player on a soap opera, yep. that kind of thing. But the first really big one was, um, I came out here in LA Law. Was the first big thing you got out here. And that was what, 20 years ago, maybe? Oh, more. Longer than that, 30 maybe. 40. 40. Has it been that long? I started on Law and Order right. over 30 years ago it- on the mothership. You know, the Dave, original. Was it Dave Mayer was the Dave, Dave Meyer. Dave Meyer. Dave Meyer. And what was Dave Meyer's job? Well, he was a uh, direct marketing salesman. He uh, he would be selling stuff. Uh, they, they all called him insufferable. But, you know, it's like uh, I got 40,000 acrylic apothecary jars. I'm trying to move it 2%. <laughs> This is going to be sweet. <laughs> and it was that kind of thing. You know, he's selling, I was selling carbonated milk. <laughs> it's going to be big. It's going to be big. But I, I met a bunch of people there then. Stephen Bochco, all those kind of people. Yeah. Some, Michael Tucker, Jill Eikenberry, people working there. Yep. And then, though, you know, the roots get planted and it moves on. And Did that character stay on L.A. Law? Well, here's the thing. I came in for one episode. Right. Um, they loved the guy, so they said it's going to be three. Then they brought him back the next year, and I think I did like 17 of the 24. Mm. And then a couple more. And then they brought me back for like one or two for another year or two. Even when I first started on Law & Order, I went back and did a couple. So you were living in L.A. at the time when this started? Living in L.A., but when I got Law and Order, it was back to New York, and then I would be running back to L.A. to do L.A. Law. Good grief. So L.A. Law was done here, yep. but the other stuff was done in New York. Yeah, all the Law and Order was New York. All the Law and Orders. Okay, so wow, L.A. Law, and then, okay, good grief. And so uh, tell me about how the uh, SVU uh, job happened. Well, the good part about that is I had done uh, Law and Order. And then some changes were made, and uh, we parted ways. And I went on and started doing some other shows. I did one about baseball called Hardball and a couple of things. And then I got a call from Dick Wolf, and he said, we have a spinoff, and we'd like to bring your character back. I said, okay. So Captain Cragen is coming back. And at the time... Right, Special Victims Unit. But at the time, the title was Sex Crimes. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, well, it never, that's what it was. That's what it was on all the scripts, everything. And then, and here's another flip. I'll bring this up in a minute. Yeah. 
NBC said, no, 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 let's keep it in this universe. There's law and order. This will be law and order special victims unit. So that, well, we know where that's gone too. There's, yeah. there've been many, but the whole point of that too, jumping back for a minute, we did the original pilot for law and order and Dick, well, at the celebration, he reminded me that was 1988. Mm. We did it for CBS. They said, this is going to be one of our big shows. We sat for almost a year and then they passed. Dick Wolf had another show. I don't remember the name. It was like um, Ninja Cops in Las Vegas. <laughs> and I, and that got not a me. comedy. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'll give it to you. You take Law and Order also. So uh, Ninja Cops didn't last long. No. And Law and Order's uh, still going 30-some years later. And you were there 15 of those years. Well, I was there... Well, actually, it's almost 24. See, I started on Law & Order, did three years. Then, when I was gone, I went back and directed for two years. Which I didn't know when I was doing the research. Yeah. Tell me about that. Had you directed prior to I that? I had directed theater. And so, did you go to Dick Wolf and say, give me a shot? Or No. Uh, Ed Sharon, a wonderful, wonderful man... Uh, uh, also passed. Now, the he came to me and said, I've watched your eye. I've watched you observe. I want you to direct. I said, okay. I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, you're going to observe. So I went and I, what they call shadow. Yes. For two episodes. And I'm watching and I'm asking. And they were both directors that uh, I really like and trusted. And I could say, why did you use that lens? Why did you do this? You know, why did you even go closer? And they were always very patient with me and said, and they answered all my questions. So you learned your craft on the job, so to speak. Yep. yep. And, and what was it like to be directing the people that sometimes you were acting with? You know what? Um, it was good. It was mixed. Let me put it that way. <clears throat> there were certain people that were difficult no matter who the director was. Okay, I'm not going to name names, yeah. but, but there were people stories, that yes. were challenging. And then <laughs> there were people that were friends and that they said, don't worry, I'm with you. You know, I got your back. Hmm. Plus the crew did. And that was a big thing because, uh, in fact, they used to say, Cragen's directing. <laughs> is that what they say? Yeah, then they'd Craigans go, directing. today it's Craganomics. <laughs> and so I, I so knew. So they were screwing with you. And if I, well, yes, but I, I knew that was support. So if I was doing something, they might come up and go, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I'd come over and go, what is it? They said, well, that's going to be really tough to light. You're moving the camera too much. And I go, oh. All right, we'd, we'd, so we do two shots instead of one, right. you know? And then you just start putting it together. Plus, I've watched many, many, many episodes, yes. and I would choose the ones of the directors I liked working with. So, you know, again, it all just kind of came together. Then we did a Law & Order movie of the week where in Staten Island, and it was at that time that the whole thing came back about SVU. And then, you know, look, even then, the point is this, I guess. 
people were saying, is there room for two law and orders back then? <laughs> right. But nobody knew, right? So I thought, well, let's hope so. Then we're doing all right. So then I remember thinking, man, if we could get five years, this would be amazing. Be amazing. Yeah. Well, and then I made it 15. 15. And now I was there celebrating... The 25th. 25th. What do you think it is about Dick Wolf and his ability to turn out these hits year after year after year? Well, first of all, he's an amazing uh, businessman. Must be. But he he's a great storyteller. You know, he's hands-on with a lot of the stuff. But what he also does is he knows how to delegate. He hires the best people. Mm -hmm. You know, the producers, the directors, the writers, because there's... There's a huge turnover, even, you know, with producers, writers, everything else, not just actors. Because they want to move on to other projects? That's part of it. And part of it is, uh, like he said before one time, I mean, it's good. It's good to move on. It's good, you know, like you have yeah. a good ball team. Yeah. Maybe you, tr you trade one of your top guys, but you get some, you know— some good young talent yeah. to build up from there. So let me tell you a story. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to a school called Graham Junior College in Boston. Mm -hmm. And we did our first uh, sort of uh, people in the industry are going to come and talk to the students. Yeah. Okay. It was like a career day thing. So they assigned me this guy who was young in his early to mid 20s, but he was like a whiz kid. Okay. And he said to me, hey, uh, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to perform, but I just want to work in the industry. He said, here's my phone number. Uh, call me this summer, and I'm going to get you a job. Well, I called this guy 25 times, and he never returned my phone calls. Uh -huh. Okay, typical show business. Fast forward the tape. I get some success, and I get called to uh, host the first Walt Disney Fourth of July parade out of Disney World. And the director walks in, and it's the guy who was at career day, who said, call me, but never returned the phone call. His name was Don Olmeyer. <laughs> I understand Don Olmeyer was the reason Cragen was uh, sort of told to go away. Is that a true story? As as I understand it, the, uh, yeah, it was Olmeyer, I guess. He was running somebody, NBC at the time, right? Yeah. And they said, we want uh, women on the show. Yeah. So there were going to be... Some changes. And I remember I was sitting home and uh, somebody got called and I said, really? Well, I just met with them last week and they were discussing storylines. And they said, well, you know, things are happening. Things are changing. And uh, So did you get to direct more episodes after you left? As yeah. On? You did. That's where it came, where Ed Sharon then said, I want you to come back here and do this. Ah, nice, nice. And then, you you know, you pop up all the time, it seems like, in some form or fashion. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I still would like to go back. I, I also went back for a few guest spots. And also Chris Maloney, who I loved working with, and he has his spinoff, Organized Crime. Yes, he did that as well. So I've been you? back for a couple of those. And at this meeting, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people say, we got to do another one. So so you do another one. Maybe. You Here's know? the thing that's crazy. So. I do a lot of research on people, and and just to kind of get the early uh, stuff done. Do you know if you go to Wikipedia, there are pages on the character of Donald Cragen? I had no idea. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I don't want to uh, go down memory lane too much, but it gives the whole history. Cragen was born in 1950, comes from an Irish Catholic background, graduated from Catholic University. I mean, they had this thing down like crazy. Uh, you wore a green beret. Did you know that? Uh, yeah. 
Was there ever an episode where uh, Craig yeah. had talked about that? There was something early on. Uh, there were two things. I'll tell you very quickly because I learn these things as it goes too. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there was a point where we're in Central Park for something and a guy's coming up and he's like going to get Olivia from behind. And it was all staged that I came in and did like a boom, twist thing, took him down. And they went, where'd you learn that? And I said, oh. I know some stuff. <laughs> And then the other one was we had to go in the water for something. And they were talking about getting in. And and he said, uh, when you get in that water, when you get in that deep, cover your stones. And somebody said, <laughs> what do you mean? And he says, things can swim up. Trust me. <laughs> and then they said, how do you know this? And he went, I was a ranger. <laughs> so... They said ranger, but these were things that were put in. And then I would just say, well, I got to like chop somebody down. Yeah. Man. You know what I mean? Uh, that's hysterical. Yeah. Talks about all this stuff. Uh, first appearance uh, on order and it tells you when your last appearance was. Uh, you have a sister, according to your family. Uh, your spouse's name. Do you remember your spouse's name? Karen. Uh, but what oh. was the character on? Uh, oh, oh. We've stumped Craig. And <laughs> I can see her. Um, Marge. Marge. <laughs> Who what? Supposedly died in a plane crash. Was that the deal? Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Because, yeah, a great episode called The Blue Wall, where it looked like I might be a crooked cop. Right. I wore a wire to bring down my mentor. I remember this and all of that. And part of it was because we were putting in a pool, and they all thought, "How did you get money for a pool?" And I said. Uh, my wife, she's a, a flight attendant. She has the money. Because they had come in going, the sharks are circling, Donnie boy. Yeah. And I said, I hey. did nothing wrong. And then when SVU started to deal with that, it was one of the first episodes. I had to, uh, wow, the episode was called The Lonely Guy. Stuff, it's waves. Yeah, anyway, I'm sure. um and I had to tell the story about why I wasn't drinking, all these different things. Yeah, because the character was an yeah. alcoholic, right? Yep. Yep. And then telling the story. In fact, I pulled out like a bottle, put it down, and they said, I thought you didn't drink. And I said, I don't. Doesn't mean you can't. And uh, he told the story about, um, I always thought she'd get the call that I died in the line of duty, and it wound up being the opposite. Yeah. Uh, who was Max Grevy? Oh, Max was the original... Cop, uh, Max Grevy. Yeah, in the in the uh, in the mothership. Yeah, that's was, what it says. It was your partner. Max Grevy, Mike Logan, crazy, and I was the captain. Right. It says you were jaded by city politics. You don't vote any longer. It said in this the character didn't. A fan of the New York Mets and keeps an autographed baseball in the case on his desk. Uh, it's fascinating that uh, you know they would break out. I mean, people don't realize that when you submit a show, you have to put in a Bible about what the show's doing and where it's sure. going and what the characters break down. But this is the first time. This is how popular your character is. Uh, Wikipedia has three pages on Craig. No, no, no. It's good. you know I. That's fascinating. When I was doing the whole red carpet for this celebration sure. the other day, several people said, "Do you?" realize how iconic your character mm, is. Of course. And I was like, I'm a blue-collar dude from Michigan who likes to tell stories. It, that's not kind of where my head goes, you know? 
So, but that was it. There was an autographed baseball. There was it. I also often kept uh, some golf clubs because he said he golfed. And um, I don't think anybody ever saw it. I had a little police car that said Detroit Police that I kept on the back. No kidding. And there was a photo of my dad and his best friend. Your real dad? Oh, that's cool. That is way cool. So I was just in a... In the back, never really drew attention to it. I would try every once in a while to be able to stand like this, so it was so <laughs> I could tell my mom, "Watch the episode look. tonight." Yeah. yeah. So tell me about this anniversary special that you just went to in New York. Well, it again, um, it was kind of overwhelming. I thought twenty five years because sometimes in my head that means I've been gone as a regular for yeah, nine 10 years. Well, nine going on ten. Yeah, now. and. Being there for 15, and like I say, nobody, I made 15, no one expected this, um, and it's still going. You know, Dick Wolf was there and he goes, let's look forward to the next 25, you know, (laughs) okay, okay. Why do you think the show reruns as well as it does? Because I can sit there, and even though I've seen it 22 times, I still watch it. I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. And what I hear from a lot of people. Uh, they're like great short stories. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have books on the shelf that you can pull off and read again. And so you've read it. But there's always, you can say, I think I missed that last time. Or I'm not sure I feel the same way about that. Yes. And one of the things that Dick Wolf did, um, you know, in all of these stories, there's like at least three, three. points of view. Always. Okay. And... They're all defensible. If somebody looks at it and goes, well, that's what you might think, Mm -hmm. but I don't think so. Mm -hmm. That's happened. Well, if we have to sacrifice that person, we sacrifice them. These things go on, which leads me to this. And here's another part of it. I can't tell you how many families, right? One at the airport on my way in that said and say, you know, we don't do all that much together as a family. One of the things we do is watch SVU, yeah. and then we discuss it. Oh, and then we discuss it. Yeah. See, how many shows can you say that about? Well, that's that's part of it. And when I was doing the uh, the, the front page on mm-hmm. Broadway, Hallie Pfeiffer was also in it, whose father is Jules Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. okay? One of my favorites. I mean, one of the plays I did early was Little Murders. I mean, I love... Anyway, he came to the show, we're backstage, and he said... You know, this is one of the things we do as a family. And I'm like, that is one of the things uh, I carry proudly. You should. So I cut you off there. The 25th anniversary was in New York. And uh, where was it? What happened? Who was there? Well, we were down at Lincoln Yards now. Um, Don't know where that is. That's uh, Hudson Yards. Oh, Hudson Yards. Hudson Yards, sorry. And it was a restaurant. It's one of the tall buildings. We were on the 101st floor. And so NBC had the whole uh, top floor and restaurant. Nice. So it was an amazing view. This is what it was. And realizing how long it went, I saw so many people that I've worked with. And there were also as many that I had no idea who they were. Really? Yeah. Because that many changes. Yeah. Well, I did an episode of uh, Win, Lose, or Draw with Mariska when she was doing, I think, Falcon Crest, for God's mm-hmm, sakes. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about her. I just love her. I've never met her, but I love oh, her. Oh, well, she's... Look, here's the thing. She's... Um, 
She's brave. She's strong. She's intelligent. She's an activist. Um, I've seen her help people on the street who have fallen down. But she is the heartbeat and the soul of the show. She is, and I think that's one of the things that's interesting. Um, she came in, she, and she's a seasoned cop, mm -hmm. but she also wasn't afraid to show emotion. And I think that's one of the reasons people really came to her, because um, she may slap you around if she has to, mm -hmm. but she will also embrace you or pick you up, you know? And the show is obviously influenced her because I know she's so involved with oh, yeah. many of the topics that have taken place on the program. Oh, no, she does it. And um, um, getting people to check do the um, rape kits mm -hmm. that wind up on a shelf somewhere. That, that didn't exist, uh, a lot of the stuff that currently is going on, from what I understand. Exactly. And she has been a huge, huge part of that, raising money for it. You know, um, it's become such a part of her life. You know what I mean? But all, I guess what I could say is she's the perfect person to be there. And I think that's why. You know what I mean? That's Yeah, I mean, uh, for those of you who are not aware, I mean, her mother, Jane Mansfield, was one of the mm -hmm. biggest stars uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Yep. Bad uh, car accident. Mm -hmm. uh, was raised pretty much by her father, um, mm -hmm. Mickey Hargitay, who uh, was a Mr. Universe. Yes, absolutely. And uh, he did an episode, I remember, with her. And, uh, yeah, he did. But I'm going to say something real quick about that. Mr. Sure. Universe, and I think it was the, could have been the first season, maybe the second. We were shooting in New Jersey at the time, mm -hmm. well, the original, or, or this SVU. And he came in, and he was watching, and he walked into my dressing room. And he said, look out for my daughter. Did he really? And I said, she doesn't need it, Mickey. I said, she's tough. She's going to be fine. Yeah. And he went. <laughs> really? And he walked out. But it was, you know, because I saw, you could see um, leadership. Mm -hmm. You could see that. You could, um, energy, focus. You know what I mean? She, uh, she also, I think she was, a f always learned her lines before everybody. You know what I mean? She's uh a pro. She's done it all. Well, she's directed. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. just, Oh, yeah. Now directs, produces, all yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, magnificent. Tell me about iced tea. I love ice. Um, There's a character I would have never, you know, the guy was a rapper. How yeah, did he get yeah. that job, you know? Well, again, I'm not sure. There's a lot of little segues in there, but... Um, he was acting even when he was rapping. He, he was, was in like New Jack City. Oh. And there were some movies he did. And then he was in that, that Law and Order movie of the week that we did. Mm -hmm. And he was in that. And I remember Dick loved him in that. And the next thing I knew, we started SVU and he wasn't in it. And on the last episode of the first season, he showed up. And they said, we got a new cast member. Because here's the thing. He's there, and it's his birthday. So I know he's a rapper, and I've been goofing around with it, playing around, trying to do some funny raps and stuff. <laughs> it's his birthday, okay? So I go, uh, today is your birthday, not yesterday or tomorrow. So have 
birthday, Tracy L. Morrow. You can call yourself Ice-T if you wish, but anyway, you slice it, you one crazy <laughs> Happy, happy birthday. And then, this is it. He goes, Chief wrote me a rhyme. <laughs> and I said, we kind of clicked right then. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my God. That makes me laugh. He had me do it at the thing. I did, there. really? And I said, get ready to bleep. I mean, <laughs> I said, uh, you know, I can fake it a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> uh, when I started doing stand-up uh, here in Los Angeles, 76, the star of the improv was Richard Belzer. Oh, sure. And and uh, Bells was the kind of guy, it would take him uh, 20 minutes just to say hello. And um, he was, we used to call him the comedian's comedian. He worked for the crowd, but all the other comedians absolutely loved him. That character was so interesting on Law & Order. Tell me what it was like working with him, because many of the things he believed in, uh, they kept in the character that he did uh, on the show. Sure. The conspiracy stuff. Well, it's a part of who he is. And um, remember, I mean, I knew him as a comedian. I used to go to the see improv, his act probably. and yes. stuff like that. <clears throat> and... Um, he created that character on Homicide. Yes. He okay. played it in like four different shows, I think. Yeah. So he did Homicide. And would that character wound up on The Simpsons? I mean, some crazy stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when Homicide finished, Dick called Tom Fontana and said, I'd like to bring the character over. And um, they agreed. It was all fine. Bells came in and... He's, he can be a difficult guy, okay? He can be challenging. I know. He's a lovable dude, and I love him, and rest in peace, Bells. But he but can be he, cantankerous. Yes. But we clicked kind of early, and because also we were dog people. Mm. He had his rescue dogs. I was working with rescue organizations. His dogs always wanted to come into my dressing room. Oh, that, that so, was, worked out yeah. great for you guys. So if he's looking, it's like, yeah, they're in here, Bells. Yeah, he passed away. I think he was living in Europe somewhere in Paris or something. Um, somewhere in France. Bozul. Ah. So he just uh, decided to hang out there and... Well, they bought a place there quite a while ago because uh-huh. early on... Well, that's an odd story, too. You know, he was on a show at Hulk Hogan. Yes, him on I his know head that or something. Yes, and supposedly he sued He got money Hulk. for that yes. lawsuit and he bought a place in Is that France. how it works? Then he bought the place next door, and it's it's amazing. It's this, it's, it, I don't even know, it's all stone, you know, and the fireplace is as big as that wall. Hmm. And it, um, so we went to visit, and, and my wife, Karen, who's a huge fan, she's, oh. she would not forgive me if I didn't say that. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, became um, pals uh, with Belzer's wife, Harley. Ah. And so... We would go to France once in a while, and we both had places on the Upper West Side. So we hung out, and we we became pretty good pals. But uh, he was. He, as lovely, kind, and generous as he is, there was always a dark side in there a little bit. There always was. And that's what was in Munch also. Yeah, I could never get into the club. He had a certain group of comics uh-huh, that he hung uh-huh. around with, and as much as I tried, I, I was never invited uh, but I used to admire the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got really close, interestingly enough, with Jerry Lewis. And he did that episode on uh, on Law and Order, I remember. He did a couple. He did a couple. And um, at the end, he was hanging out with Jerry uh, oh, yeah. quite yeah. a bit. No, I got, you know, I got to, 
know Jerry Lewis, too, and that was a real treat. Tell, he, tell me how you got to know Jerry. <clears throat> well, from doing the show. Oh, okay. And then he would invite us out to dinner, and you'd show up at a huge table in some favorite restaurant of his yep. on the Upper East Side in New York. And then it would it was all the old shtick. Mm-hmm. He'd take the breadsticks, you know, and put them in. And yeah, it'd be and, like and, a walrus. And, and, yes, and, yes, and all of this stuff. He would do all of that, but then every once in a while, he would just say, and Dan, your work is beautiful. I think this is some of the finest work I've ever seen you do. And In fact, speaking of that, I got a wonderful note. He came to see a performance of The Front Page on Broadway. And I got the note, and I said, why didn't you come backstage? And he said, I didn't want to take any thunder from the cast. Hmm. And I thought, well, I think it would have been okay. Yeah, yeah. Somehow I mean, I Carol think. Burnett showed up. Everybody, You know, they all showed up. Yes. But it's still, he had notes about how he liked it. You know what I mean? It was... A sweet guy. Yeah. Sweet. Plus, remember, he was the biggest star in the world at yes, the time. Yes, at one time. Yep, he was. On stage, TV, concerts, everything. Yeah. And it was like, that's got to be amazing. Off the air, we'll tell you about my relationship with him. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you're talking about theater here. You did front page. How long ago was that? Wow, that would be almost six years now. So you did it with Nathan Lane, which is unbelievable. And the difference between doing Broadway and doing uh, series TV is what? I mean, the live audience is one thing. Well, smaller paycheck. <laughs> um, no, the thing, you know what? I, uh, this has kind of come up before. The thing is, it's just, it's about size in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the Broadway stage, you're looking out and there's, what, 1,500 seats. Yeah. And then you find ways, you know, to get out what you have to get out there. Yes. And on film or television, I learned from also directing, where, where, what lens do you have? Where's the camera? So if you're here, mm-hmm. I don't have to do much. Right. And in fact, the tilt of a head could be like crossing the room. But everything... The gut, the heart, the head, that's all the same. You know what I mean? It's you're either letting out a little bit like that or you're you're throwing it out there. But all of the work is kind of the same. Which do you prefer? Me. I you know what? I love them both. And that's why right now what I've been looking at doing is getting back on stage. Um, we were rehearsing a play when the pandemic hit, two weeks into it. Uh, it was a play version of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, how fun. Well, so that happened. Everything shut down. Three years later, mm. they went back in and I wasn't available. Oh. But then we were going to do it and I thought we'd be doing it now. now. And because of all of those things, the pandemic, theaters lost audience. Big time. So- People are having to really keep an eye on the budget. People, you know what I mean? And they're trying to do smaller two, three character plays, you know, things like that. There was a uh, article uh, in the last week about how Broadway is having uh, such a difficult time. And Off-Broadway is actually doing better. Yep. Uh, now, I, I open, my one-man show opens Off-Broadway February 14th. Uh-huh. And, uh, but even so, ticket sales for Off-Broadway are not inexpensive either. The first time I saw a show, 
on Broadway was Fiddler on the Roof, and that was 1964. We were in the balcony. I think the tickets were like four bucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now, and I think what changed it, this is my theory, I may be wrong, when the producers became so hot and they started to do these tickets for like $1,000 a night, all of a sudden it gave people permission to charge these insane prices. The other thing is, I did a live touring show when I was doing Double Dare, and we were playing uh, Madison Square Garden, and, you know... One union drives the truck within 10 feet of the loading dock. Then somebody else has to drive at the last 10 feet. Then one guy takes the props out and drops them off on the landing there. And then another person takes... And it's just gotten to be outrageous financially because the unions are costing a bundle. Well, it's true... In television and film as well. Yes. There are unions and there's this is a, there's a subset and whatever. But they're... You know, the rates go up. Yes. But the rates for the actors go up. The rent on the theater goes up. Yes. You know, the cost of the props that you rent goes up. Yep. And when a show could be done for a couple hundred thousand dollars, it's now like six million. Mm Mm-hmm. Money's got to come somewhere. Well, and the difference is a friend of mine's producing a show in uh, London. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a two-person thing. Uh, The budget was $400,000. They wanted to bring it to New York. $4 $4 million. Yeah. I see it all the time. It's crazy. And that's a part of it. And then people didn't come and it's like, I think we lost, I think live theater has changed. Yeah. That's just all there is to it. Yes. We've lost certain parts of the audience. Um, I remember I was working with friends trying to come up with a way, if we could do a play, where could we do it where um, we could even have the plastic partitions, mm-hmm. seeing what we could do, get people to come. Um, and some people tried it, but what really started to happen then was you could Zoom them. Yes. So you could go into a theater that's empty. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same as being there. No, and you have to be there. And uh, I don't know, it's just frustrating to me that uh, these costs have gotten to it. But you think about it, it used to be, you know, they used to come the bus and truck people. People would come over from Jersey, go through the, you know, the tunnel and... It, Back then, you could afford it, but now, let's just say there's two ways to play. You want to take your kids. So you have two kids, the husband and wife. You want to have dinner and go to see a show. It's $1,000. Mm-hmm. Or if you decide mm-hmm. to leave the kids at home with a babysitter, it's still expensive. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, that, quote, discretionary income is not as easy right now. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, I had a friend. Um, she has three kids. They were born when we were working in triplets. And... She wanted to come see the show. <clears throat> now, the kids were a little bit younger. I mean, maybe 16. And there's some stuff in the front page I thought. I said, look. Better not. Leave the kids at home. I'll cover your ticket. Huh? And uh, and then come see it. Because, yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's always nice to help somebody out. Of course. You know what I mean? Of Get course. somebody that wants to come to the theater. And if they have a good time, they'll be back. They'll be back. Absolutely. You know, I go through these list of things that you've done. It's fascinating. You know, NYPD Blue, one of my favorite shows. Oh, yeah. You played on that. Uh, you were on Roseanne, three oh, episodes. Yeah. Uh, 21 Jump Street, for God's sakes. Well, there's a funny one. Listen, here. So that was Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and we're up in Vancouver. So the, I get that job. We go up. We're in Vancouver. We shoot a couple of days. And then it poured rain. So we got an extra week out of it, I think. <laughs> but here's the thing. I had done the movie Angel Heart with Robert De Niro mm. and Mickey Rourke. Boy, that must 
be amazing. That was wild yes. in a lot of ways. <laughs> but the so Johnny Depp comes up and he goes, "You worked with De Niro." And that was a big part of it. Now we're talking way back. Yeah. But he wanted to talk more about what was it like working with Robert De Niro? No kidding. And so I was like treated pretty well I bet. on the set of 21 Jump Street that must up be in Vancouver. Cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh Matlock, tell me that experience. Okay. Here that, that I've wasn't heard a stories great about one. Andy. Yeah, that wasn't a great one. Andy wasn't really there for you. Yeah, that's what I was the told. The thing was this. He wanted to get out early. <laughs> so if we're doing this, we're shooting Andy's side, right? And then he leaves, unless he has to be on camera. And now you do your scene with the script person. Right. So somebody's sitting there reading the lines, the lines. while you're doing your thing. Not the same. And I remember, too, that we're doing one, and I was on the stand. I can't remember the character's name, but... Um, Ken Pritchard. Pritchard. That <laughs> I was just going to pop. Um, and... Uh, he said something, and he could said something, and I it just hit me, right? And I did one of these, like, no, I didn't do that. And he went like this, and there was a long pause, and he walked off. I'm sitting there, and we're waiting. And a little while later, the director came over and said, no, you don't do that. Why? Well, he said, this show is called Matlock. Oh, don't upstage uh, Mr. Uh, Griffith. And I said, I just thought it was the right thing to do. He said, just don't do it. Yeah. You know? Sad, um, the stories you hear, because he was such a loved character, not only on TV, but everyone mm -hmm. thought off TV. But the stories that come out now were kind of, you know, sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, what, 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 a face in the crowd? What was that movie? Oh. I, I would say he's more like that. More like that. Than Andy of Mayberry. Isn't but that um, interesting? That, and I remember, I'm, again, I'm not going to name an actor here, but we were doing a scene that was like that, and it got like that, and I was like uh, going at him. <laughs> and there was another pause, and they said, um, um, you have to leave the room now. And I said, what? And he said, uh, "It's he feels it's his office, and you can't do that. He has to maintain control. And I swear to you, they took the chair, they put a stick with a paper plate with two, two eyes. eyes. And then he did it, and it was like, just settle down. <laughs> and I went, so they already shot my side. Yeah. And I said, well, we have to reshoot mine. And they said, no. no. And I was like, wow. That must be so frustrating. Well, it is, and you look at it and go, well, okay. I yeah. mean... It's yeah. not worth, especially if that person is here yeah. on the ladder, uh, what are you going to do? As long as the check clears, you know? Yeah. Uh, Hill Street Blues, oh, uh, yeah. one of my favorite shows, The Equalizer, the original, I like the new one, but the original one yeah. uh, was fantastic. Did a couple episodes of that. That was such a great show. And I forgot about Mr. Slate on the uh Oh, Flintstones. the Flintstones. That must have been a ball. Well, that was a ball for a couple of reasons, because I, I had done a play at... Uh, Playwrights Horizons in I know all about New it. York. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Donnie Scardino was one of the producers there who does a great, he's like, directs a lot of these uh, Only Murders in the Building mm -hmm. and stuff, works all the time, great guy. And so I'm doing the play. It's called Man in His Underwear. <laughs> and I'm. It's, it's a great, having a great time. I was doing Law and Order and they even let me so I could make sure I made the 
performances. Nice. Um, somebody involved was either dating or related to Spielberg. He came to the show. So he came back after and said, I really enjoyed the show. And I said, well, thank you very much. And uh, I said, and I said, you know, my buddy, John Goodman, is is going to be doing Fred Flintstone. And he went, yep, mm-hmm, that was it. I got home, uh, and a little while later, there was a call. They want you to come in and read for Mr. Slate. Come on, that's how that happened. So I went in, did that. Anyway, it, it, it was a lot of fun in a lot of ways. That movie, though, was also, um, there were so many writers or mm -hmm. rewrites about who do you give writing credit to. And um, a lot of the stuff that was in there that I wanted to do and even shot then didn't, didn't, make didn't it. get in. Uh. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, look, I remember we were in a stone quarry somewhere. Right. Bedrock, right? And I'm driving in the car and I'm coming and I look down and way down there is bedrock. Now, as we're, I'm driving down, <laughs> there's these people in the outfits, <laughs> like sitting there smoking a cigarette <laughs> on the phone with their agent. And I'm going, this is wacky. Yeah, somebody take a this picture of that. This is wacky. That is pretty and, funny. And then we get there and do it. And, there's, and there was all the... Um, animatronics and mm -hmm. stuff, you know, Dino. Oh, yeah. And then there was like a real Dino, and then there was just the neck and the head and all that stuff. It was taking forever watching. to shoot that, huh? Well, I was only there maybe two weeks or so, but I think so because- Where they shooting? I mean? Well, again, it was in some stone quarry. I, I mean, it was out here. Oh, it was out here in California. Yeah, yeah. That's very funny. Um, I'm, by the way, I'm the only person, I lived in New York on and off over the last 25 years. I must be the only person who has not been on Law & Order. They had a conversation with me once about what was the character that I would like to play. And I told them, since I used to host a kid show, that I would like to play a, like a, a devilish kid show host who did something, murder somebody or something. Mm -hmm. And they liked the concept and they molded over and then they never called me back. <laughs> well, Someday. I'm going to give you one though. Here's <laughs> the only other person I know. Nathan Lane. Nathan's ever done it? Un unless he's done it in the last few years. Everybody in New York has done that show, except and, me and, and Nathan. A huh? number of times, yep. And that um, it was his dresser, I guess, who mm -hmm. was always there with him. And he came up to me one day. I'm just sitting there and he goes, you know, Nathan's never done any of the Law and Orders. And I said, you got to be kidding yeah. me. And they said, no, um, they, they've never come to him. That's so weird. Well, and all I remember is I then threw into somebody and I said, you know, Nathan Lane, he's, in, yeah, he's, he's in a talent. monster star. Yeah. He's talented. And again, maybe since then, or maybe he's got so much work, he doesn't even care. Maybe now, not. You but, know? Wow, that's, that is See, because I think I was one of the only people who never did any of the Star Treks. Wow. That's interesting because yeah. a boatload of people did those as well. Exactly. So we talk a lot on the show about uh, overcoming obstacles. Mm -hmm. um, the audition process is just the worst. I, I, I'm i 72 years old, and in the last couple of years, I finally learned how to audition. It took me a long time uh, from the confidence level to not being overconfident to listening to what the person said. And just, you know, I've read every book I can about how to audition, and I'm finally in a comfort zone. Um, so in the early days... Were you auditioning 34 times before you got the first part? Were you lucky and nailed it before then? What motivated you to keep coming on? And and let's talk about what were there, the obstacles that you had to overcome to motivate this great career of yours? 
Well, let's see here. I'm trying to think if I call them obstacles even, but um, because part, it's all part of the tapestry. You know, you learn from one, you stink it up, you learn from another one. <laughs> um, and again, I think there was uh, naivete, like I, I did things or said things maybe I shouldn't have mm -hmm. and then learned. But, but um, I'm going to turn that around okay. and say, see, for me early on, I couldn't wait to get in. To me, it was a performance. So first of all, I'm going to say, hey, Mark, it's great to see you. This is a good dad. It was raining crazy, right? And then I can come in and go, next time I'll fucking kill you, okay? <laughs> and then you can do it. And then what I'm going to get to is every major job I ever got was because I was in the room with the people who could hire me. Which is so important. It's so important. And you're there. And if they go, okay, thank you. And I'll go, well, oh, hold on, hold on. I love the script. I love this character. You know, give me a note. Tweak me. What? Give me something. And then often they'd just go, all right, well, try this. Then I would, they'd say, well, oh, that was really good. That's better. Now try this. And the next thing I know, I get home and my wife says, they called. They called. You got the job. See, I, this is frustrating to me. And I think I've told the story too many times on the show, perhaps, but they can edit it out. Um, <laughs> I got called to audition for Waitress on Broadway, mm. and I was going to play Old Joe, and I had seen uh, Al Roker play the, the role, and he did a magnificent job, and I thought, well, I, I can make this happen, so talked to the right people and got the audition, but the way you audition for a lot of shows on Broadway now is you record yourself, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, I sang a song and did the whole thing, and when they called me back, they said, quote, you could never play this role, and I said, why? And they said, no matter what you do, you play it too young. And you have too much lilt in your voice, and you sound too up and happy. And I said, here's the difference. If I would have been in the room and a director would have given me that note, I could have taken that and changed it right there. Mm -hmm. But I recorded it, sent it to you. Does that mean I don't get a second chance? And it's like, no. And so that's frustrating. You have to be in the room. Well, that's that's what I'm going to agree with you now. I hate this self-tape oh, stuff. Horrible. And in fact, I've gotten to a point where unless it's some major, major, major thing, I just say no. I say, no. Look, I said, I have 500 episodes of television out there. There's a couple dozen movies. I've done over 80 plays. Come on. Yeah, give me a break. Or have me come in and we'll sit and we'll yeah. talk yeah. something. Because in this day and age, they take a quick look and go, swipe left. And it's done. Yeah. And you don't even have a shot again yes. to try it. And that's why I'm sitting there and I'm doing this and I'm working on it and I'm doing 20 takes to make sure it's right. But again, if you do it and it's not what they wanted, sometimes they don't even realize it's only off 5%. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just go and, uh, and it might lazy. be. Lazy, yeah. I, I'm not sure what it is. It's money. There's so many different things, I think. Oh, it's a different but, business than, than we got in back yes, in the day. You yes, know? and that's what I'm saying. That's why now, see, people ask me, how do I like retirement? And I say, I'm not retired. I'm calling it pre-tirement. <laughs> if something comes along I like, I'm going to do it. Sure. If I want to go do a play that pays $50, I'm going to do it. Sure. And it's what I've always done. You know, a lot of people say, well, you can say that because you had law and order. And I go, I said that when I got law and order. Yeah. They yeah. didn't want me doing it. I, I get that 150%. I mean, I'm getting, you know, you know the salaries off Broadway. I'm not making a bunch of dough, but it's a passion of mine. I've 
always wanted to do it. I, I got uh, lucky and got to do uh, the guest producer role on Gutenberg last week. Uh-huh. And I just had the best time ever. And, you know, I could be sitting home doing nothing, but why not be out there and keep working? And Right, right, right. You know. No, that's a cool thing. That's the two guys, right? The, yeah, the, Andrew yeah. Reynolds and yes. uh, Josh Gad. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your wife. She's an artist, correct? Yeah. Tell me what kind of stuff she does. She does all kinds of stuff. She um, she started uh, painting. She she right now she's doing a thing online where there's a prompt where you draw something uh, and then write with it. Um, it can be pen and ink. It can be watercolor. It can be all these kinds of things. She's done photography. She's also very much right now into puppetry and really? having a great time with puppets. So I like to help her with that. How fun. Um, she did. I wish I could. I think it was called like blind contour or something. In other words, if I look at you and then I have to draw you here without ever looking down at the paper. Really? And it's kind of cool because you can come out looking pretty goofy, man. <laughs> I like, bet. But then you look at that and go, that was the whole point. And now right what, what do you see? What does that mean to you? You know? Wow. That's way cool. How long have you been yeah. married? Uh, 45 45, okay. Years. I'm hitting 50 in, in June, and people say to me, how can you stay married that long? I say, I've only been home 15 of them. Yeah. You well, know, yeah. we've been on the road. We've been working. Well, there's been a lot of that and a lot of that. And like in New York, when I was doing these law and orders, I mean, we bought a place there. Part of it, you wait a while because you could be canceled every year. Yep. Once it looked good, we had a place there on the Upper West Side, 86th and Riverside, and our place in Venice. So we could take turns. She could come out for a visit. If I had two weeks off, I'd go home. She could come out, take the apartment, visit all her friends. Very cool. You know, so, and there were things... You know, you get on the phone and play Trivial Pursuit. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I know. You got to stay connected. <laughs> I know, man. It, you know, but I always think that's what keeps the marriage together is, you know, because it's like getting reacquainted when I come <clears throat> home. Um, and uh, would I prefer we're together more? Sure. But, uh, you know, our business doesn't dictate that. So we do what we can and uh, and hope for the best. Uh, it's been the fastest hour I think I've ever done and certainly one of oh, the most entertaining. Awesome. Great. Uh, Dan Florick, uh, Captain Cragen, and so many other things we've learned uh, that we were not aware of. Uh, look forward to the next project, be it TV, be it theater, and uh, appreciate you being on Mark Summers Unwraps. We will see you next week. Stay tuned. Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited, created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond, produced by Keith Corneluck and Jessica Richmond. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post-production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Mark Summers Unwraps.